Charlie should move down one. Well, I thought Sarah <laughs> might be coming. And oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Well, let's play. And then we'll play again. Okay. Father, thanks for another Sunday to gather together as your people and to uh, hear the word and to sing the praise and to feast at table. Thank you for the means of grace that are involved with your church. Pray for this time together as we further explore and start our journey through our core values here at Orlando Grace uh, for each of these that make this investment. We pray that it will have many returns. Help me as I guide us through this and look forward to the discussion that we have as we look at these important elements of church life. In Jesus' name, amen. You, you, you know that uh, game show, Family Feud? Right? Family Feud? Okay. So the families are pitted against one another. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Um, but then there's a subject that comes up, and then people guess how many, and you have to see. Well, I want to do that with you about the top seven reasons why people choose a church, according to a Lifeway survey. All right? So um, what do you think? Okay. One. I'm guessing it's not number one. Sermon <laughs> content is number one. Okay. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, so we'll give that the benefit of the doubt for sure in terms of um, however somebody thinks of that, whether it's the nature of who does the speaking or whether how the content is biblically sound or it, it, it is number one in priority. Good, we're on a roll. We, we should maybe get on that game show and win something. <laughs> <laughs> Why else do you think people, there are seven top reasons to choose a church? Don't worry about getting these in order, okay? Location. Location is actually number four. Yeah. People, as a rule, want to be nearby their local church for any number of reasons, not the least is escalating gasoline prices. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else? We're doing great. What do you think? What else is important to be? And think about what matters to you that's not, you know, could very well be in common with a lot of other people. Music. Music is definitely. Uh, number three on the list. Music slash preferences is a big one. Mm -hmm. Good. What about um, offerings for children? Absolutely. Yeah. Children's education and ministry is number five. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We could add youth, right? Because of the experience of your family members in the past too. Okay, good. We're on a roll. We've got three left. Probably whatever um, kind of programs they have for families. Uh, there is definitely a uh, service opportunity. <coughs> and I'm you're, gonna you're saying opportunities for the person to serve. To, yeah, I, I thought that's where we were going, but I think, say again, Carol, where you were headed? Well, uh, it would be, you know, like children's ministry, but what else, you know, what other programs? 
Okay. Yeah, and so programs often, I'm going to go ahead and lump that under opportunities to serve or engage. All right? Okay. Number two? Mission. Pardon me? Mission? No, mission is not on the list. Not on this particular survey. But leadership friendliness? Okay, here's number two. The sense that you know or are engaged by the leadership of the church was number two. I thought it was very interesting concept. That's obviously not why we chose this church. No. <laughs> <laughs> Tour one. <laughs> the gentleman from New York. Right. <laughs> and then friends. Yes. Or family connections. Yeah, that makes sense. We might use the word community. Right? In my experience, people tend to stay at a church, regardless of what drew them there, is if they gain involvement and they make connections with people. Right. So, uh, <coughs> but lots of factors come into play uh, in terms of why people choose a church and what I hope to accomplish with you here in Discover Who You See as we begin today looking at the first of our couple of core values is just familiarizing you with who we are. You gained some perspective, I hope, from last week's message, uh, which was kind of a an unusual opportunity. I've never done anything like that before, but I felt that it was warranted given the unique season that we're in, knowing just some of the values and, and realities that have come over time. But we do try in this uh, class to familiarize you as much as possible with the things that are at the heart of, uh, you might recall I mentioned last week that you know when we came to season three, where I became the third lead pastor, we essentially did a whole restart. And everything that's first content here was developed at that point. Okay? So this is uh, the recreation, the reboot. Now, there was a lot of overlap with what was there before. Um, but uh, here you have, I would hope, as thorough an opportunity as possible to uh, go to buy a new car. I'm pretty intentional about not just picking the first thing on the lot, right? Kick the tires, raise the hood, take a test drive. Um, you know, you want to check out the house cleaners, has it had a wreck? Well, we've had two, but we've been doing pretty well for a while now. But so, again, I would just want to remind you, feel free uh, at any point question, comment, I'll try to engage you as we go along. We're going to get through page two today, uh, starting there with a statement of purpose. When we wrote this, we thought we would contend with the Apostle Paul for a long run-on sentence, as he has in <laughs> yeah. the New Testament. This is not our mission statement. Our mission statement is concise. I think it's seven words total. 
that I hope anybody that you would talk to at Orlando Grace to some member would be able to rattle off. Nobody rattles this thing off, including me. However, it is a one-sentence. Hey, Tom. Good morning. There's a name tag already printed out for you there. Coming to join us. We just finished playing Family Feud. You missed a good time, but it's all right. We're just now jumping into the content on page two. I would like to think that this is a 35,000-foot we're under tab one, okay, the red first tab. Well, you might have a different color. I have the red, but uh, Orlando Grace Statement of Purpose. There you go, John, right there. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like, let's read this together out loud, all right? Again, we're on page two under tab one. Good morning, Sarah. There's a ready-made name tag for you there if you want to grab it. And then come and turn to page two. We're looking at our Statement of Purpose, which is... Uh, something that I think is a comprehensive biblical um, exposition in one sentence form of what we hope to be about. Page two, page two Sarah, in your notebook under tab one. So let's go ahead and read this together aloud. We exist to glorify God before realms invisible and visible by continually developing a community of believers growing ever increasingly more satisfied in all that God is for us in Christ Jesus, such that the overflow of our joy demonstrated in love for unbelieving and believing peoples near and far calls them by the Holy Spirit's power to turn from seeking their fulfillment in sin and its inferior pleasures to pursuing the Son of God and the ultimate satisfaction that comes from being rightly and intimately related through Him to God the Father. Everybody take a deep breath. <laughs> There's a fair amount of uh, uh, thought, theology, and I, I, I trust a biblical um, accuracy there in terms of who and what we are and want to be as a local church. Much to meditate and dwell upon there. And again, good morning, Mr. Mrs. Allen. There's a ready-made name tag already printed out for you. There you go. That's right. You have this is you get for filling out a database card. We reward you with your own name tag. All right. Happy Mother's Day to you, by the way. All right, we've got two spots right there for you. We're on page three now. We're going to dive into our core values. An organization of core values, you see at the top by Aubrey Mouthers, are the constant, passionate, biblical core beliefs that drive its ministry. Values articulate why we do the things we do in ministry. And at Orlando Grace, we aspire by God's grace to accomplish his mission for us, driven by certain treasured values. Again, there are ten. Some of these will move through fairly quickly. Others we will take longer to address. Uh, we start here because I think perhaps if we get this right, we have a far greater chance of getting the rest correct. We value God-centered passion at the core. Why is passion? We value 
God-centered passion at the core. With each of these, there's a sentence or two unpacking and then some content to do it more thoroughly. God alone ultimately satisfies the deepest longings of the human soul. Therefore, we will subordinate willingly all other concerns to the pursuit of our joy in God by gratefully acknowledging his supremacy in all things. Now this is based upon, and if you'll allow me to use some cultural critique uh, at the risk of sounding like an uh, angry, judgmental preacher, I'll try to avoid that. But I, and, I, and I'm indebted to um, a number of different uh, writers that have informed my own philosophy of ministry and have impacted where we come from at Orlando Grace. David Wells is one of those for me, whose book, No Place for Truth, Whatever Happened to Evangelical Theology, just rocked my church growth-oriented, make a thing grow and expand kind of mindset back in the 90s that thoroughly got me moving in a different direction. His contention, and I don't know that he's too far off, though the landscape has changed in large part because of the way he and others have written in something of a modern-day reformation. Throughout much of modern evangelicalism, God is weightless. <coughs> He has come to rest inconsequentially on us. Man, not God, rules at the center. Of our religious solar system. I would hope that when anybody walks through the doors on a given Sunday, however imperfectly we do church, people would sense that what matters most in our midst is that God is paramount in our affections and our concerns, that he's not, um, not an afterthought. God's and his agenda is at the center, not we and our agenda. If you'll allow me, I, I love this quote. Some of the quotes I have in here will blow past and not even read. You can read them on your own, but this one is important. And then I'll seek to validate it biblically. It is this God, majestic and holy in his being, this God whose love knows no bounds because his holiness knows no limits, who has disappeared from the modern evangelical world. He has been replaced in many quarters by a God who is slick and slack, whose moral purposes turn out to be avuncular advice. Now, I had to look up avuncular. Avuncular is think, um, Thanksgiving dinner, uh, where in large families, extended families get together over in the corner in the rocker will be Grandpa Ed, or Uncle Ed, that nobody takes very seriously. He's just kind of a cosmic, uh, maybe maybe grandson, but nobody really 
thinks there is much to be had by engaging him. So that's what Avantara means. That we can disregard or negotiate as we see fit. So this word is a plaything for those who wish merely to listen to themselves. His church is a mall in which the religious, their pockets filled with their coin, agree and do their business. We seek happiness, not righteousness. We want to be fulfilled, not filled. We are interested in satisfaction, not a holy dissatisfaction with all that is wrong. This is why we need reformation rather than revival. The habits of the modern world, now so ubiquitous, that means everywhere, in the evangelical world, need to be put to death, not given new life. They need to be rooted out, not simply painted over, papered over with fresh religious enthusiasm. And they are by this point so invincible that nothing less than the intrusion of God and his grace, nothing less than the full recovery of his truth, will suffice. I think there's some overstatement there. Um, I will grant that. However, I will say that when um, David Walls was writing this back in 95, I think it was even perhaps more true than it is these days. Uh, but there is a constant temptation and threat that the church will become more man-centered and less God-centered because of the nature of who we are. So turn over to page four. We're going to do some unpacking now of this value and what we understand it to be and what we hope to experience in our church. True religion, and I'm now borrowing from one of the great theological minds of the past in, modern, in America, Jonathan Edwards, true Christianity consists of elevated affection. Or, if you will, affection is what Edwards termed for emotion. Please understand, with this value, I'm not talking about yet how we think. We're going to get there in the third core value. I'm talking about how we feel in God-centered passion. I'm talking about our affections. I'm talking about the emotional dimension of our spiritual lives. God commands a passionate pursuit of him. The next line. Commands this. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. What are some things you delight in? Nature. Nature. Okay. Nothing like a walk by the beach like we had yesterday, right? Okay. What else do you delight yourself in? Family. Family. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Creation. Creation. Nature. Right. Yeah. What's not the light? Something else. Come on now. Let's, let's really get down to it. <laughs> College football. Only I would say when Penn State wins. So <laughs> we go around and around that forever, right? Yeah. Friends. Sure. Yeah. I great. I was so sad this week to learn that Emeralds of Orlando was closing. Now that I have personal reasons for that, my son who passed away in 2014 was a server there for 10 years. I delight to go and remember. Josh, and have just a fine, I, mean, I, I, 
I confess I identify with Isaac in today's message who says to Esau, go kill some game and make me food such as I love. <laughs> you know, delight in fresh venison cooked on the grill, you know, after a fine hunt. So <coughs> delight is an affective word. Psalm thirty seven, four does not leave that <coughs> as negotiable. And it is not alone. Philippians four four some of us have been around long enough we remember saying it, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Back when scripture songs were just kind of coming into vogue in churches, speaking of the fourth reason why, or is it the third musical references, right? First Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, right? How about Deuteronomy 28.47? I don't have it here for you, but I want you to turn in your Bibles. Let's look at Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. 47. Mm -hmm. Help if I was not in Genesis. Somebody read Deuteronomy 28, 47 for us, please. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things. And would you continue to verse 48, please? Yeah. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Hmm. Sobering verses, right? Could these not just read this way? Because you did not serve the Lord your God because of the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Mm -hmm. What does Moses add? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Please don't tell me that your joy in God's person does not matter, that your affections are not important in the way you come to worship and serve the Lord your God. Here in Deuteronomy 28, it's brought forth as a very important uh, part of this. Here, this is extra. You know, Piper said something, something like this, the kind of our praise fulfills Yes, this is, this is, this is very Piper-esque. Right. It completes that. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to get at that here in a quote from Edwards in his miscellaneous in a moment. Um, let me give you a little hint into, I think I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians 1, I think. I think that's the right neighborhood. I need to find the screen address. I don't have this written down, but... Yeah, 2 Corinthians 1, 24. Here's a little hint into how I understand my job description as a pastor 
uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm excited about Jim Davis coming, because I, I know, I don't know whether he would articulate it this way, but I'm confident if he were here, he'd be shaking his head and saying amen, all right? Would somebody read Second Corinthians 1, um, verse 24? Actually, let's do 23 and 24. Anybody? What I call God to witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again before. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we worked with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. I come into my study for pastoral care, or I come to visit you at your home, or we touch base in the lobby after service, or um, Dick and I catch coffee at Panera. I don't know if we have coffee drinker, but if we did, how I understand my role in your life. I work for your joy in God. I work for your delight in Him. Because I know that's the only thing that can fill the depth of the well that's in your soul. As much as I delight in a marriage to a rock star wife, that's not enough. My joy cannot be in that or in my team winning the national championship or even the glories of creation like standing in mouth gaping open at the Grand Canyon is but a glimmer of the glory and wonder of the person and character of God and his love and his holiness and his majesty. And so there is something about elevated affections that are, that are so consumed with him that bring forth a praise of his glory and a joy in him that's superior than just seeing it with your mind's eye, as important as that is. There is right thinking, but right thinking in the head is meant to drill down into the depth of your heart with joy in God. And he is more glorified when that is who we are than if we're just um, mental theologues, if I should use that kind of thing, a statement, um, but have, have head and heart, uh, Piper likes to say, heat and light engaged when it comes to our pursuit of God. Here is this quote from Edwards. He puts it this way, and this man makes you think. He's not, um, you know, this is not um, a fast food. This is... Um, smorgasbord stuff. God is glorified within himself these two ways. By appearing to himself in his own perfect idea of himself or in his son who is the brightness of his glory. Two, by enjoying and delighting in himself by flowing forth in infinite love and delight towards himself or in his Holy Spirit. Trinitarian, so God glorifies himself toward the creature, also in two ways, by appearing to their understanding, by revealing to their minds the truth of who he is, and two, in communicating himself to their hearts, and in their rejoicing and delighting in and enjoying the manifestations which he makes of himself. God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. 
when those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. God made the world that he might communicate and the creature receive his glory, that it might be received both by the mind and the heart. He that testifies as Isaiah's God's glory doesn't glorify God so much as he that testifies also his approbation, that's his approval of it, and his delight in it. Uh, let, let me give you an illustration that might drive this home. Jan and I have been married now for over one year, and we've had our one year anniversary on March 25th. Now, I'm too old just to be acknowledging anniversaries, so we do month anniversaries. And so on May 25th will be our 14th month anniversary. Right? And we, we give each other a card on our month anniversary. Hallmark rejoices. Hallmark <laughs> rejoices, that's right. That's right. Well, let's just say that I decide I come home from, I'll still, I'll still live money be stewarding my responsibilities here, let's say, that actually if I go to the 20th of the Lord's Day, you know, but let's say I decide to come home, I'll stop by Costco and pick up a great deal, 14 roses, all right, and I come through the garage, back door, and she's waiting there in the kitchen, and I have my roses behind me, right? and we greet one another, we know it's that special day, we usually do a date night with those roses out, right? She looks at me and says, oh, Honey, just and I'm like, beautiful, thank you so much. And I look at her and say, think nothing of it, it's my future. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going to go over? <laughs> Probably not real great, right? <laughs> now, if I say, oh, baby girl, that's what I would say, I would. I love you so much. You are such a gift to me. Fourteen roses is just the least I can do to let you know how thrilled I am. Is she not more valued? Is she not more affirmed by my delight in her and the communication of that? See, I want, even though, we, you know, let's, let's face it, some of us are more emotionally wired than others, and this gets expressed in different ways. I get that. I'm not looking to turn people into a bunch of emotional Niagara's like I intend to be, all right? I, part of the way God has made me. But I, I want when you come through the door and you sit under the preached word and you come to the table where you're reminded that Jesus gave his precious blood and his body was broken for you and that you are communing with the Christ and his universe in your faith. I want there to be delight. I want the, I want the gospel to rest that consequentially on you. Sure. Yeah, I, you know, we can't add to God's glory. He's definitely like Yes. Yeah. And uh, how do we do that? I mean, that that does at least recognize His glory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can't add to it. We, no. We talk about glorifying God. We don't really glorify Him. We definitely glorify No, we him. don't add anything to that. But, but we can recognize. Yes. Glory. We reflect we that. We reflect that. Just, yeah. just talking back. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that in that, then your deepest needs and my deepest needs are met. Okay, so, absolutely. Um, Jesus prescribed a combination, here's your next blank, Jesus prescribed a combination of spirit and truth. 
teaching about worship in the conversation with the woman at the well. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I think the ESV gets the word spirit not capitalized correct. I don't think he's talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. I think Jesus is talking about there needs to be two planes, two, uh, two wings to your airplane of spiritual life. There is truth, light, and there is spirit, key. If you have just spirit, you've got emotional access. If you just truth, then you, and no heart, then you're, uh, how does uh, Piper put it here? For emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates flaky people. Flaky people who reject the discipline of rigorous thought. Uh, let me back up. Worship must engage your emotions, and worship must engage your thought. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of unspiritual fighters. Emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates flaky people who reject the discipline of rigorous thought. True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. That's great stuff. This commitment pervades every one of our values, but speaks first and foremost of our devotion to biblically shaped worship. Consequently, we strive to exalt Jesus corporately in ways which engage both the heart and the mind, spirit and truth. We make use of differing forms, styles, and our traditions, subject to the dictates of God's spirit as received in his word. These various elements in worship function not as ends in themselves, but as means for magnifying God's infinitely precious character and works. For more information, see the philosophy of worship document at the end of this section. We do pursue a blended philosophy, for lack of a better term. Traditional and contemporary, we want to even as we'll talk in our core value on Reformed theology, we, want, we do not want to be chronological snobs. We rest on the shoulders of, shoulders of great work theologically in the past to understand what the Bible teaches. There are great shoulders that we stand on from the past musically. So we will sing the great hymns of the faith, although we may occasionally tweak the um, arrangements, but we will also sing the new psalms hymns and spiritual songs that God gives his church in every generation. As long as they are, and I love Jim Davis's answer to this question, first question in the Q&A a couple of weeks ago about approach to music, it must be theologically accurate, it's got to be singable, and it has to engage the congregation as a whole in a participatory way. So we do, we pursue a participatory philosophy of worship, we want to be able to hear each other sing. Um, we're not dimming the light so you can't see one another. We're not having the volume so loud that you can't hear one another. Um, and we will have a variety of different formats from time to time sharing. Uh, obviously, scripture reading, various components that are part of that. And finally, we pursue the centrality of preaching. of preaching in worship, what 
one has called expository exaltation. Priest's word is simply another part of our corporate worship that has a component of what the preacher does and what the hearers do. And we'll have a whole fourth value when we we'll talk about that. But for now, let's just take a quick look at 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16. Before we do that, just think about the fact that service will start at typically 10.45. We shoot to be done by 12.15. I hope to be up preaching by 11.30 and shoot to be done by 12.10. That's 40 minutes out of the 90, over half, that's devoted to preaching up God's Word. There is an indicator there of how important, just by the balance of time, invested in that, that we will devote to it. Can I have a reader of 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16, please? Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, teaching. Do not neglect, neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. What's the only part of those verses I don't have to worry about? <laughs> exactly. Not <laughs> to worry about anybody despising me for my youth, okay? But in Timothy's case, that was an issue. And you know what? Jim will need to hear that. As a 40-year-old young man coming into his first lead pastor role, how, according to this passage, does he counter that? What must he and I and anybody who takes this role pay attention to? What are some things you see here? What stands out as important? Character. Yeah, example, right? Good. What else? <coughs> well, very specific. Setting example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Okay, yeah, there, that is not just, there are very specifics about the character that you're supposed to be an example. What else, in addition to example, should a young or an old preacher be concerned about in the work of the ministry of the Word? Okay, and that will be very much a part of his, his, his character. What else do you see in the text? What are some key words? Persist. Persist, right. Have it be the ongoing character of your ministry, right? What else? Devotion. Devotion, wow. Devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. You see the word devote again in verse 15? Practice the thing. Devote yourself to that. It cannot be an accessory to a pastor's ministry, this whole idea of teaching and preaching the word. It has to be at the core of what he does for the welfare of the church. Because 16, verse 16 says, what hangs in the balance? What hangs in the balance if I or your pastor, whoever it is, does not take this seriously about scriptural reading, teaching, and exhortation. 
by doing well by not doing it he won't stay forever with that thing if he is so what hangs in the balance whose mine first yeah now wait a minute i thought salvation was by grace through faith it is but if i don't teach that way i may not be saved if i get off track and end up in heresy i should lose my soul for believing the wrong thing and put you all at risk eternal welfare is hung in the balance every sunday that's how savings this is. I'm not overstating it at all. Which is why I've got to get my pastoral behind into the study in the morning and talk them down in the books and try to minimize distractions and work hard through to Thursday at noon when I finish my manuscript sometimes. Occasionally there's it bleeds over into the weekend because life is just challenging. But so significant what happens in this role. Okay, We've touched on a lot of different things. I have, I, I belabor that value a little more than others. I just feel it is so important. I want you to be well-rounded. I want you to be head and heart believers. I want that to be the growing experience, however it's expressed in this person's life. Questions, comments about this value? Any aspects? Well, there are preachers that have. Uh, I think uh, uh, Wesley was not a saved man when he started preaching. The way he started preaching, or reading Romans, actually, mm -hmm. he became a saved man. Mm -hmm. The preachers. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's. They're unsaved, it's, they become uh, uh -huh. believers. Yeah, true. Mm hmm. God's word is powerful. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thanks, Lord. All right. Good? Ready to move on? Cool. I'm Please do. That Anybody who comes to discover the Chief for the sixth time can speak up whenever she wants to. <laughs> <laughs> that, in, that in general, I feel like the church these days airs way more on the emotional not doctrinal side of things mm -hmm. and that when I first came to ACC I felt like here we were more in danger of being way more head than heart and it is a um, risk more attached to our tradition which we're going to talk about in core value 3 so yeah you can fall off the, let's change the metaphor from the airplane to the horse you can fall off the horse on either side um, it, just, it, it depends upon what movement, tradition, history, but so much of it comes down to, okay, what do you understand the Bible to teach on these things and how consistently, hopefully, is the diet that you're receiving from a pulpit trying to navigate both aspects? So, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, I've found that, you know, just in searching for churches and just knowing churches, my father being a pastor, that in the reformed faith, it seems to happen more head than heart mm -hmm. many times. Mm -hmm. And it's a very difficult thing to battle. Yes, it is. <coughs> and, you know, there is a whole there's a catchphrase that RTS Orlando called triperspectivalism, seeing things in threes. Okay, we can easily add to this conversation as a believer. You want to be a balance of head, heart, and hands. 
okay? Oftentimes, as we so enticed, we're, we're in our holy huddle and we're not engaged in mercy ministry, in tangible service outside in the community. And we, we fight some of that. So, and the truth is the matter, probably all churches are a, a blend in one way or another. However, the percentage, you know, is, is it 33, 33, and 33 and a third? Probably not. Maybe it's 50. My math is going to get me in trouble. 30 and 20. I'm all I'm, I'm right so far, right? Maybe 95 and f I mean, do, do you get what I'm trying to say? As people are, so are churches. But, yeah. So we want to be, we want as, as best we can grow into an appreciation of and a, an a embodiment of all three, head, heart, and hand. Okay, value number two, Christ-connected prayer over the ministry. We're at the bottom of page five. Apart from the power of Jesus Christ working in and through us, we can accomplish nothing of lasting spiritual value that magnifies God's glorious grace. John 15, 5, one of the most sobering verses in the New Testament. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Therefore, we will relentlessly saturate every dimension of our ministry with prayer, petition, supplication, and intercession, along with thanksgiving, in order that we might continually abide in Christ, the true vine, and thus bear much fruit. I feel like lofty language like relentlessly saturate every dimension of our ministry is awfully um, idealistic, and we fall short of. I'll just be very honest with you about that. There's always a gap here. Um, that we're con we, we, we want to try and close is one of the more challenging aspects, I think, of corporate ministry and personal life. Uh, but there is an aspiration to want to have this be a priority in our worship services. Prayer takes place of priority. So I'm now on page six. From a text like 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. Can I have a reader, please? then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul finishes in verse Timothy 1 with personal comments, and then in chapter 2 he dives into how to do church with his young pastor Timothy. What's he saying is our first priority? First of all, then. Uh, and he piles up the synonyms. Supplications, petitions, intercessions, thanksgiving. For all people, all kinds of people, he means. Kings and all who are in high positions. It's a huge part, and it is why we have a pastoral prayer. I remember when Ted and Kathy first started coming. Ted's one of our elders. Um, coming to Orlando Grace Church. They told me the story after, I don't know how long they had been here, but um, at that point in our history, I alone was doing the pastoral prayer as the pastor teacher. When I had my jaw break down, we started rotating with the elders, and to this day we continue to do that. A different elder, because all, we'll talk about this when we get to leadership, all elders are pastors. Some are vocational, some are avocational, but they're all pastors, so we, we rotate that. And it's a way for you to be familiar with who our elders are. I, I, I like that about pastoral prayer. But 
you know, I'm doing, I got tagged for pastoral prayer because Ted is recovering from uh, some surgery that he had this week. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like this is not, I feel like it's a very important part of our worship experience in light of a passage like this. So we'll take some time with it. Could be more or less on any given week, but <laughs> I was taking it up and said to me, she leaned over and said to Kathy, while I was praying the pastoral prayer on that first Sunday, while we're not in a seeker-sensitive church, <laughs> so where you said, like, you know, we're to be, to be attending to this many details in the amount of time, and I don't, I don't say this as a, a badge, just prayer's got to have a role in our corporate reality. And it must take a priority, same word, same blank, in our pastoral ministry, as I hope it would in each of our lives. Acts 6, 4 says, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Um, we have a prayer team. Let me make a pitch for the prayer team. It's one of the hardest ministries to staff. It meets every Sunday morning at 8.30. You all were prayed for today in the prayer team. I thank God for the nine of you who have decided, even though the pastor is leaving and the new guy is coming, we're going to go ahead and explore membership. We just asked the Lord that he would help you. And we prayed for the service, and we prayed for the other classes, and we prayed for the city, and we prayed for missionaries, and we prayed for a lot of different things over that 45 minutes. And just want to say that if you're in a season of life where, and have a burden for that where it works, you're more than welcome to join us uh, every Sunday at 8.30 in the conference room. Um, <clears throat> being encouraged to know that every month when our leadership team meets, we get together at 6.30 and we pray for the first 45 minutes of monthly board meetings. And we use... Um, That is updated monthly, and copies are available in the resource center on that first set of bookshelves when you come through the door in the lobby for every day of the week, Lord's Day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every member household and attender's household is listed there. So we encourage our people to take these and pray throughout the week as led, but we will use this as a leadership team to pray. And you know, sometimes we'll spend more time on a household when we know that there are needs affecting that household. But we try to pray through, like I'll be at Chuck Sunday, and Mike will get Monday, and uh, Dan will get Tuesday, and I'll take Wednesday. And we have somebody for each day of the month, and we're just, we're doing uh, you know, our community refers to it as popcorn praying. We would pop, pop, and praying different things for different households as we, as we go through. So, um, and you're more than welcome to grab one of those if you um, so feel led. So, um, this has to be an important part of any local church's life, and we're continually hoping to um, grow in it. Like today, we will give people some rails to run on 
is the fact that Ramadan starts on Wednesday, the one month of fasting by Muslims around the globe. You know, they fast from sunrise to sunup, and very important in the Muslim world. And there is a movement for praying for Muslims during that time, that God will send dreams and visions and missionaries and, and believers into their lives uh, and see some come to know the Lord during Ramadan. So it's a special prayer focus that we try to pay attention to. And we'll, we'll do the same when it comes to the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, which is usually the second Sunday of every, uh, is it November? Yes. Second Sunday of November is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We'll highlight the world's watch list, top ten of persecuted countries, I have been of a mind to preach about that, and typically we emphasize prayer for that. And so things like that will happen as led. As a dreadfully short treatment of that priority, comments or questions on that? Pretty straightforward. Just know that our, especially our leadership, oh, and, and, and yeah. can I just encourage you, use these. This is the tear-off sheet in the bulletin, the connect card. And you're already connected, I know, but, you know, who's mine every week? Sunday cannot read, so you have to ask me all the time, what is that word? But I still turn it in. I always have a praise because I want to thank God for something that he's done. And then I have a prayer request for leading and direction for the next vo our next vocational following. For God's timing and Jan's mom going home to Jesus comfort for Judy and strength for the caregivers. Just the elders and deacons get these on Monday and they pray for them through the week. So take advantage of the fact that you can be prayed for specifically just by turning in a connect card each week. You don't have to be a member in order to make use of that prayer card. Okay? Anything else? I didn't leave any time. I was hoping to get into um, for value three. We'll just dive right in next time with that. Comments, questions about anything related to these two core values, and we're off and running. I have a, a question. Yeah. So I was uh, thinking about the, the head part. Yeah. Uh, how do you deal with um, legalism in the church? Because I know that was something we fought with many, many times in our old church with people being I have a chapter in my book, so I sell everybody a copy. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, it hasn't come out yet. But you're, I say that somewhat facetiously. In a, in, a, in a book on peacemaking, how to preserve and guard unity, there has to be a chapter on judging. Staying off the throne, Romans 14. Welcome one another. Embrace one another. So I think you start with sound gospel teaching and preaching that focuses on what Jesus has done and how that informs our duty on the things that are black and white that are not negotiable and we should be in one another's lives about. But then on all those secondary and tertiary matters, like what day, uh, what foods, what uh, how you handle this or that, where the Bible doesn't know clear black or white. You just, you just, you 
you're patient with the brother that's weak and you make no, try not to set any, um, you know, hindrance and offense, but you also celebrate the freedom and encourage people to keep those categories clear. I have been known to get pretty firm in the pulpit about, like, we, we had a season here where there was some of that going on in the infamous mommy wars, okay, about, you know, what you feed or don't feed your child, how you train and discipline or don't train. And it got back to me, and it happened to be that I was in uh, a teaching on this area, and I just stopped and I said, that is not going to happen here. You, you cannot do that. That is majorly on the minor rather than, I'm not saying it doesn't matter in your conscience what you should do, by all means do it, but don't, if you start pushing that or anything else, that each one must be informed in his own mind, then it has to be confronted and rooted out, because legalism killed. It just killed. But the best antidote is champion the gospel, and be faithful to it. Um, but it's a constant threat. Licenses, too, address that as well, um, but, and I'm tackling that even in today's message, but yeah, we, we want to stay as far afield from that as possible. Okay, let's pray. Um, Lord, we now ask that you would indeed rest consequentially upon us as we go into corporate worship. Thank you for the preached word and the table, both today continue to ask that you will help these who are exploring the land of grace to know what your will is, and that uh, this journey would be one, whether they stay and, and root here or not, gives them a greater joy in you and thrill about being a part of this thing that is your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay.